Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining me here on the Bare Bones Yoga Podcast, Conversations for Yoga Teachers. My name is Karen Fabian. I'm the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher and educator, and my goal here is to provide you, the yoga teacher, and other listeners with interesting, compelling content designed to pique your interest in teaching help you grow as a teacher, and support you on your path to sharing this wonderful practice with your students. I've been teaching for over 14 years, and through my classes, workshops, online courses, books, and other content, I focus on the anatomy of yoga and how teachers can learn this complex subject and present it to their students in an understandable way, all designed to help them bring more impact to their teaching. Even though we're not in the same room, I want you to envision for each episode that we've sat down for tea in a cozy coffee shop. Some days we'll talk about technical teaching topics, while some days we might have a teacher friend join in on the conversation, and other days we'll face some of the personal challenges that can come up when we take on the journey of being a teacher, knowing that the more authentic we can be, the more we can impact others. For more information about my products and programs and to contact me at any time, just visit my website at barebonesyoga.com. Let's get into today's episode. Okay, we are on. Hi, Anita. How are you? I'm good. And you? Good, good. So um, for our listeners, I want to just orient them to kind of how you ended up, how we ended up connecting and what was kind of the lead up to this conversation. So um, about three or four days ago, I posted to my Facebook group, which is the Bare Bones Yoga Anatomy Work Group. And I invited teachers to come onto the podcast to share anything that they were working on as teachers, because I know that there are definitely common themes that come up for teachers you know, really regardless of experience, regardless of age, regardless of, regardless of teaching style, there are just common themes. And so I was looking for people who were willing to kind of say, hey, I'll be on the podcast. I'll share my thoughts. And Anita, you were one of the ones. So I'm super glad to meet you. Um, I know we've talked a little online, but it's always great to see. The listeners can't see you, but I can see you. Um, so thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you. It's, yeah. it's a pleasure. Yeah. I've listened to you for a, quite a while, so this is kind of an honor. <laughs> oh, nice. Awesome, awesome. So, um, so again, just to let people know, so I'm in Boston, and Anita is in Tennessee. What part did you say? Cook, Cooksville? Cookville. Cookville. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And also, the listeners can't see, but Anita did her teacher training in Alaska, so she is wearing a Alaska sweatshirt with Alaska on there. So she's got kind of all the vibes of Alaska and Tennessee kind of represented. So it's really cool. So um, I thought a good place for us to start would be um, to um, have you, I know you wrote me, but kind of for folks that are listening and you know, you've listened to the podcast. So you're just kind of giving us a sense of how you found yoga and what got you into teaching? Okay. Well, um, in Tennessee, there's not a lot of opportunities at the time when I was growing up um, to have yoga. So I really didn't um, experience yoga until, oh gosh, I was probably in my 30s and I was going to work out at a gym 
a, uh, one of the local gyms and um, they had a yoga class. And so I kind of just stumbled into it, not really even knowing what I was going in for <laughs> and just absolutely fell in love with the class. And um, so there, from there, I just started like trying to find out everything I possibly could because I lived in a small town, Lebanon. It's not a small town anymore, but it, it was at the time and there were yeah. no yoga studios. So I mostly did DVDs. You know, I would just go and start trying to buy DVDs and stuff and just start doing it on my own by watching the DVDs. And um, so I didn't really get to start out, but like most people, like always going to, you know, a bunch of different yoga classes. And in fact, I didn't know for the longest time that there were different types of yoga. Yeah. Um, but because it just, I just loved it and it made me feel so good. I'm a dental hygienist by, uh, by career. And so I realized how um, it really helped me in order to be able to, you know, go to work each day because we're, we're sitting over patients. Yeah. You know, you know, um, and it really helped with my neck, my hands, my back, you know, and then I started just thinking like, oh my gosh, this is just so awesome. I just, you know, if I didn't do this, I wouldn't be able to do what I was doing. So I thought, you know, um, I just loved it so much. I wanted to um, learn more about it and I wanted to share this with other people. Um, so that went on for many years there, just kind of off and on, you know, doing my own thing. And then when I was living up in Alaska, um, there was yoga studios everywhere. Every, <laughs> every wow. corner would ever have a yoga studio. You'd about Alaska now, would you? Yeah. Well, in Anchorage, yes. In Anchorage, there is. Um, there's just a lot of opportunities and there were so many types. And so I started going to yoga classes when I lived there and that's, you know, I kind of, met some people that way and then I came back to Tennessee and unfortunately I went through a divorce and um, I just decided when I went through my divorce that I kind of like jumped off the deep end and decided I was going to do something for myself and awesome. uh, so I packed up and I moved up to Alaska and went through teacher training and um, wow yeah. <laughs> now, what made you do it out there versus somewhere cl closer? Well, I guess because just being up there and going to the yoga classes, I just yeah. felt like they were more experienced and I didn't really, I guess I really didn't investigate that much around in my area. I'm yeah. not sure, yeah. you know, after, after going back up there, I found out, you know, there's several in Nashville and, and, and all that. But in Lebanon, I mean, we didn't even have a yoga studio until maybe, maybe 10 years ago. Okay. So, and there's still only like three. So, yeah. I mean, it's not like there's a big opportunity for that. Um, sure. So when was so, it that you went to Alaska for your teacher training? A couple years ago or? Um, yes, I graduated um, two years ago, which would okay. have been... Uh, the end of April, um, okay. 2017. So, yeah. yeah. So I went up there in 2016. Yep. Mm -hmm. So how, so you did your training and then what? Um, then I decided that I was coming back to Tennessee because 
I just felt like I'd done a lot of healing from the divorce and yeah. of course it was time to move back to be closer to my family. Yeah. Um, Alaska's just really far away from yeah. Tennessee. And so I have grandkids and all that. I decided I should move back. And yeah. Um, so I moved back and um, of course I started looking for opportunities to teach and um I did, it was mostly fill-in. Uh, there was one, the yoga studio there in town. I connected with them. And so she had me to um, kind of try out for them and then yep. um, started doing more like fill-in. And then I did some fill-in for her also at one of the, um, the recreation areas doing some chair yoga and uh beginner and intermediate yoga for yeah. mostly some of the older generation yeah. there. Yeah. Um, and so mostly I've done fill in until I moved up to Cookville. I had, I moved, it's about uh, an hour and a half from Nashville, but, um, and then I connected with a studio there. Um, and I wanted to teach, uh, you know, like beginner or immediate, but what she said, we really need someone to come in and teach chair yoga. We don't have this, which I enjoy teaching, but yeah. the, um, but this studio is on the edge of a university. And so most of the people that go there are, you know, really young yeah. um, people. And so um, in the beginning we had about maybe six ladies would come, but they want to do the hot yoga there. So the room yeah. is hot. Yeah. And a lot of the older ladies that came to the class, the heat really bothered with them with yeah. because um, their medications and things that they take. And uh, so I lost clients instead yeah. of gaining clients because, and I tried to talk to the owner and she was, she just was more or less like, well, you know, if they would just give it a try and keep coming, they would realize how beneficial the heat is. And I'm like, well, but you know, I yeah. tried to like, try to let's go halfway here. So we did turn the, turn it down some, but um, I, I had a hard time getting people to come back. And so. Were you teaching the chair yoga in a heated room? Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. I've never I quite know. heard of that combination. Yeah, well, me either. Till that, I mean, this was the owner of the, that was, she wants all of her classes to be done in the heated room. She huh. just feels like it's very beneficial. And uh, that was my first experience with it also. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, then after that, I had some job changes and I ended up um, moving uh, away for a few months. And so I just kind of, the class, we just kind of ended it. And, yeah. and now I'm just kind of like, I don't really know what to do. <laughs> yeah. So tell me a little bit about like the whole kind of process of starting to teach after you came out of your teacher training. How has that, how, how has that been? Like what kinds of things have come up for you when you started to teach? You know, um, tactical yeah. things like I, you know, I, I didn't know how to do X, Y, and Z, or it could be just other feeling based things like, wow, I, I feel like really different standing in front of a class teaching anything. Right. Um, 
Well, first of all, I felt like at graduation, I felt like this enormous, like, oh my gosh, I have learned so much. And yeah. at the same time, I felt like I know nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah that's I mean, common. you know, that's kind of how I felt. Um, yeah. And uh, I actually, my first class to teach up in Alaska, I filled in for my instructor. She had a class at the hospital where she did. Uh, it was mostly chair yoga, but it was with uh, cancer survivors and people yeah. going through cancer and, yeah. and, and other, you know, issues they could come sure. to the class. And I started going there because we had to um, do some rotations where we would go and observe. And I just kind of fell in love with that. Yeah. Um, and so, I don't know, when I got back to Tennessee, First of all, it's very hard um, because uh, being in the South, it's a, um, a lot of people look at yoga as a religion and not a, you know. Yeah, like a form of exercise. Yeah, and they, you know, they're like, it's hard to kind of get some people to come because they're sure. like, oh, I'm not a Buddhist, you know, and that kind of yeah. thing. So you have that um, to deal with and then. I think what came up for me in teaching is I just didn't feel confident. Yeah. Um, I just always felt like the other teachers, because they've been teaching longer, like, you know, when I would sub for their classes, that the, the people would be going like, oh, you know, yeah. she's new and she's not experienced. And so I always felt very um, inadequate, I right. guess. And, right. and I would... I would just like, um, you know, study my notes. I'd look at yoga videos. I go to YouTube and I would study, study and come up with all these sequences. And I felt like I was pretty good at that. But then yeah. when it came to deliver it, yeah, I just, I was like a nervous wreck. I mean, yeah. I just, I felt like I stumbled over my words and, yeah. you know, I would forget things and I don't know. I just, <laughs> yeah. I just kind of, kind of felt like a mess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can relate to that. You know, I can, I can relate to those feelings of being new and, and having the knowledge, but feeling like your cup is so full, you don't quite know how to translate the knowledge into the action words and phrases that the students need to do the practice. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so you were doing kind of this research on your own. So did you find that you were spending like a good amount of time to get ready to teach classes? Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A lot. Kind, of like a little, <laughs> kind of like a little like project. Yes, it was. It would be like a project. And, you know, I mean, I would be like, okay, I'm going to come up with a sequence, you know, yeah. and, you know, and I would be like, okay, so I'd get all my sequencing books and I would, you know, then I'd start going through YouTube and watching videos and yeah, I would, you know, and so, yeah, it just kind of seemed like this long project. And, you know, I kept, I kept out calling back my instructor back in Alaska going like, when am I going to ever feel like yeah. I could just walk into a room and teach yeah, yeah. you know yeah. without like having to do 50 hours of preparation right to walk in there right and still even after doing all the work I still felt like um 
I'm just not ready. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so it sounds like you felt like you were doing kind of the logical steps that you could think of to prepare yourself, but still walking into the room, it wasn't like that preparation gave you the feeling of confidence or even the smooth execution that it was just flowing from you. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Now, if you were to kind of envision, you know, kind of the ideal way of being that you would like to own, like in your bones, in your body, what would that look like? Like if you could kind of envision yourself, you know, at a point in your teaching where it wasn't effort, like what, what would, what would that look like? Would you be doing the prep you were doing? How would it feel for you to be standing in front of the room? Like kind of put on like that kind of like almost yeah. like putting on a coat. What would that look and feel like? Well, I just feel like I would have confidence that I would feel, um, like when I went in to teach that I could just like pull out of my brain to, out of the filing cabinet things that, you know, like be yeah. able to put a sequence together and say like if someone was in my room that had some kind of medical issues or whatever, it wouldn't like scare me to death that I'm like, yeah. okay, I can't do that. What I plan to do now that I would be able to like, just be able to like, okay, change of plans. We're going to do this. You know, yeah. like I felt like when I went in to teach that I had this paper laid out in front of me and we were going to do this and that it was really hard to like, if I had someone come in and had some kind of yeah you know medical issues or something and that maybe we shouldn't do that, that would be like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so I feel like, you know, I would, had the experience to be able to just be able to change plan from plan a go to plan right. b and it not rattle me and right. get me right. all like you know um right right and i guess i mean i know that it takes time to develop you know i realize that but i'm also a type of person that um it has taken a lot for me to be able to even stand up in front of a room because I'm the type of person that avoids getting up in front of an audience. Um, uh -huh. I avoided uh, piano recitals. I mean, anything yeah. if it involved getting up in front of people. So this has been something that's really taken me out of my comfort zone and really pushed me. Yeah. And um, I know going through teacher training, you know, um, they told me, they said, well, we felt like he was probably, um, the one that probably improved the most just yeah. because I was so terrified. Yeah. To get up. And even though I knew these 20 people in my class, they were yeah. like family, it still just unnerved me. And I, you know, I don't know how to get past that feeling yeah. of yeah. feeling frightened, you know, yeah. like, and so, I don't know, you know, I know they're just people and, but I'm just always like thinking what they're, you know, like, oh, she, she's not a very good teacher. She, yeah. you know, you know, I don't, and also I'm so scared. I don't want to hurt somebody. And right. uh, <laughs> yeah, there's all the yeah. things. So when you were in your training, you probably had to practice teach, right? Oh, yes. Yes. So how did you, 
how did you do, how did you get past your, your stage fright, your, your fear <laughs> of being, how'd you do it? I don't know that I ever really got past it. I just got to where, um, but you did it right. It's not like you I, said, Oh I'm no, not. I did. Yeah. I had yeah. to do it in order to pass. I mean, we right. had to do a final practicum, you know, and, um, so walk me so, through that. How did you do it? Um, well, I prepared a lot and yeah. I would just practice at home and I would, I would, uh, videotape myself. Um, and when, you know, I just, I'm getting better about realizing that, you know, if it, something does wrong, it's just, that's the way it is. And they're not going to kill me or anything, right. so you, <laughs> you know, so, so. so you just kind of, you had the fear, but you did it anyway, basically. Right. I pushed, it yeah, like, I did push through it. Yeah. It wasn't like. It sounds to me like it wasn't as if your preparation and your teacher training got you to a point where you had no fear. You just got to the point where you did the prep you could, you were still terrified, but you still did it. Correct. And partly it was because you were, you know, you, you knew you had to do it to pass the final practicum and, and graduate from the teacher training. So, you know, the only reason I had you walk through that is to, you know, number one, your experiences is very, I don't want to say it's very common to, to diminish it, but I want to say it's common so that you know you're not alone in feeling this way. Because I hear this from a lot of teachers. And right. in fact, I hear it from teachers who have graduated from teacher training and the fear has gotten so big that they're not teaching. And so here they've spent thousands of dollars on training and they're mm -hmm. terrified and they're waiting for this like magical moment when they're gonna feel ready. And so I'll see them after I've seen them for the anatomy part of the training. You know, I'll see them six months ahead, you know, from in the future or a year in the future. No, I'm not teaching yet and I'm not ready. No, you know. And so, you know, part of it is that kind of dream vision that there's gonna be a magical day when you're ready, which is kind right. of a fallacy. There really is no magical day that you're gonna be ready. <laughs> And the other reason I wanted you to walk through that is to have you, because sometimes I think it's hard for us to see what we're doing because we're in it, doing it. It's kind of like that, that Buddhist idea of the seer and the scene where they're like, you can step outside yourself in meditation and kind of watch yourself. Right. And so, especially when we're in a situation where we're feeling fear, it's really hard for us to step outside ourselves because we're just so mired in the muck of the anxiety and the fear. So the, you know, you walking me through that is for, for me to hear it and for you to hear it is an example of you're moving into fear and doing things anyway. It's already in your, it's already in your constitution to do that, right? You already have the ability to act despite the fear, right? To just keep moving forward. And not everybody has that, right? Sometimes people are so in fear, they're completely immobilized. And so you've got that ability. So it's just, you know, part of it is just taking a moment out of compassion for yourself and just kind of acknowledging yourself, hey, I can, I can do things despite the fear. I have done them and, um, you know, fear is a great motivator in some ways, as long as it's like healthy stress. Um, 
And the other thing that I was thinking of, you know, you're, you said you were a dental hygienist and whenever I go to the dentist, I think, wow, this must be such an interesting job for someone to do. It's like a very personal thing to look in someone's mouth and to be like right on top of them. Look, you know? And so I think about every once in a while when I go to get my teeth clean, wow, if you were a new dental hygienist, it must be really scary and awkward to be like, uh, can you sit here? Oh, okay. So put this thing around your neck. It's just a little bib. And then to get your tools and to be like in the person's mouth. So how, I mean, do you have memories of your transition from new dental hygienist? I mean, you don't have to walk us through it, but you see where I'm going, right? Like, yes, yes. There's this knowledge base for whatever it is. And on the front end, it's really, I mean, it must've been really messy. You were probably dropping stuff. Oh, sorry, let me get that. <laughs> I imagine I, I would be if I was. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. So I remember when I got out of dental hygiene school, I felt the same way. Like I had learned so much. And then when you yeah. go in, you feel like you don't know anything. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I've been a dental hygienist for 21 years I've been in the dental field 34 years so yeah. I mean it's not like you know um and I still get nervous today like right now I am in between jobs the doctor yeah. I work for retired and so I am actually going out and interviewing yeah. and um ever since I come back from Alaska I've not really had a stable hygiene job so I've been having to put myself out there again yeah and it's really nerve-wracking because yeah. A lot of things have changed sure. and um, I had taken six years off for a while, um, not work. So going back into it and now there's all these new girls and younger girls. And yeah. I feel like I've, it's, it's kind of odd that you bring this up because I kind of feel like the same thing with dental hygiene as I do with the yoga. I feel very uncomfortable around the younger. Yeah people than I do people my own age yeah, uh, yeah. and older um, and like at the yoga studio where I was teaching there for a while I mean they mostly do the you know the hot 26 you know right. that kind of thing and I just feel that I'm out of place there like yeah. that's not my thing and yeah. I also feel out of place in some of the newer dental offices you know than the mostly the younger people yeah um so yeah. I feel inadequate you know like yeah. I feel like they're judging me or, sure sure yeah sure. and I you know I think that that I mean that's something that yoga teachers don't know often talk about is this kind of aspect of teaching that is a reality, which is that you're standing in front of a group of people and you sometimes have to kind of manage the voices in your own head that are your perception of what other people's perceptions are. So you can kind of, you know, get really adept at talking them through the practice while also managing what you're perceiving without any real idea if your perception is reality, because they're not saying anything. It's not like they're literally saying, wow, this person, blah, 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 blah. But you could make all these massive assumptions just mm -hmm. by their body language, their facial expressions. 
And then all of a sudden you've got this whole kind of conversation in your head. So I don't know. Have you ever heard of the book, The Four Agreements? No. Yeah. Write that down okay. because I would highly recommend that book. You can even just go on YouTube and there's probably a quick synopsis to give you an idea. So I won't go into all the history, but okay. the four agreements are four basic tenets that um, this, this man by the name of Don Miguel Ruiz held out as kind of a template for living in a healthy way from a mindset and mindfulness perspective. And um, he comes from an Aztec culture where um, there were very um, deep cultural ties to nature and to spirituality. And so this all comes from, from there. One of the four agreements is don't make assumptions. And so <laughs> it's this idea. And when you actually, you could probably read the book in a weekend. It's, it's okay. a small um, And again, you can Google stuff on YouTube and they probably have little blurbs about each agreement. But when I read the book, I remember thinking how many times during every day I make assumptions about what other people think about me. And, you know, many times they're incorrect or they're invalidated. You know, you have no way to really validate if they're true. So I just mentioned that just because it's so common. And I think it is such a common theme for teachers because what are we doing? We're standing there having a conversation with ourselves because no one is talking to us. We're just like, let's do that. And, you know, maybe then saying cues that are, you know, helping people, you know, kind of tap into their own bodies. And maybe we say something and then in our head we think, oh, that was stupid. Why did I say that? No one really could understand, you know? So we have to kind of manage our energy and our thoughts in this realm in order to be effective. Because think about if you have like a certain amount of energy and you're spending X amount of it managing all of this, <laughs> and then there's this whole other side whatever's left to give to the class, you know, we obviously want to maximize what we've got to give to the class. So the more we can just kind of be, it's almost like you're just kind of being like a conduit. You're not, I always think of it like, there's another um, uh, analogy I can make. I think of like flight attendants. And I think if a flight attendant, whether working on the ground or working on the plane, got intricately involved in every single interaction they had with a passenger, they would probably not last but a couple days because airports right. are just meant and airplanes are meant to be stressful situations. They just are by their nature. And so I think of successful flight attendants as people who can just manage energy really well. They're just there, they're doing their thing. There's bad energy coming in and it just kind of bounces off them and there's good energy coming in and they might acknowledge that. Oh yeah, thanks. This is a great flight. Oh, thank you. But it's not like they're like, Oh God, I'm doing such a great, you know, like nothing really, they just stay in their zone. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think right. of like healthy yoga teaching is kind of like that because what are we doing? We're, you know, giving people a series of movements that sometimes kind of bring them up against their edges from a physical mm -hmm. standpoint, from a mental standpoint. And so sometimes we're the person, because we're the person doing that, we're also the person that perceives we're also getting the daggers, right? So through whatever it is, like a weird look, or no, I don't want that block, or leaving class early, right? That no one likes when right. that happens. All of a sudden that's like a big deal. Oh, it's about me. They don't like my class, they're leaving early. Oh, I had a guy leave early yesterday with like three minutes before the end of the class. And in my head, I'm like, are you kidding me? You can't wait three minutes. Maybe but then in my head, I was also like, 
I don't know that guy's story. For all I know, he's got to go take care of his sick mother. I have no idea. So I just kind of pulled it back to what I know, which is there are people in the room in Shavasana right now, and I am holding space for them. And I don't know that guy's story. And so it doesn't make, you know, but it's like until, like you were saying, until you kind of get that, that reservoir of, of, of experience, those things will, you know, sometimes bring these things up. And when you think about it, when you were saying about the, um, you know, the person coming to your class with a medical issue, I mean, despite how things have changed to a certain extent in the dental hygiene industry, you still have 25 years of experience. No one's going to get in the way of that. You may have to learn a new machine or infrared things or whatever it is. Um, and so I'll bet if someone came to you for a dental cleaning, brand new patient, and they were like, uh, by the way, I have a cardiac, uh, you know, I had a cardiac cath or I'm on cardiac, you'd be like, okay, cool. Just tell me what's right. on. I'm going to tell you not to swallow, you know, whatever it is. So right. I guess I only bring that up to give you faith that in your process in teaching, just like in your process in your career, you will through experience build to the point where, you know, you're going to have, it's that kind of, you're getting from like all these things you don't know and you're feeling really anxious and then you're kind of knowing more things and you're feeling, you know, and then it's kind of like, you're just unconsciously competent. You're just doing the things because they're just in your repertoire. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'd like to get to is where it just felt like it flowed, you know, like, uh, like, you know, like a yoga sequence, like it flowed, (laughs) you know, Yeah. And I, you know, I just want to acknowledge you too, for really two things for number one, you know, having, um, to, you know, really being open about how you feel. Cause not a lot of teachers do that. And I think that's where people can get stuck, right? They're unwilling to kind of be honest about how they're feeling. And, and also number two, bringing up the issue about feeling a little bit insecure about your age. I mean, I'm 55. So I feel that too. Sometimes when I'm in studios and there's a lot of people in their twenties and thirties practicing or teaching. And so I, you know, I can relate to that. Um, Mm -hmm. I think too, the other thing that you brought up though, that kind of hits home for me in a way is finding, you know, kind of, and this doesn't necessarily mean you acknowledge that feeling and then you're just going to another environment. But I think it does point to finding places to teach where you feel like there's an environment where you are thriving as well and where your offerings are um, fitting the clientele. And, you know, I mean, that example you gave of doing chair yoga in a heated room, you know, that to me is a bit of a mismatch because chair yoga by its nature is for, you know, usually people who have some kind of mobility challenge where they need to be sitting and heat would probably just exacerbate whatever that is. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I think there's just some practical things there. Um, right. You know, well, I kind of realized that maybe that wasn't um, the greatest place for me to be teaching. Um, you know, I thought because it was like 10 minutes from my house and yeah. it, you know, such a cute little studio, but um, I, I did call and speak with my, one of my instructors that I went through teacher training with up in Alaska and I talked to her and, yeah. you know, I just had a really bad experience. The last time I taught there was because I filled in doing a restorative class and for 
uh, the teacher that owns it and she, you know she's been teaching a long time and she has a great following and I was doing a restorative class and you know I had really worked hard on my you know my class and I had a couple of um, girls that came in that I know always come regularly to her class and they could tell they were very disappointed that you know she wasn't there and it was kind of like they just kept doing their own thing like yeah. no matter what I yeah would say they would just do their own thing and they were right in front of me so it was right. very distracting right and I would just try to put it out of my head yeah you know and to keep on trying to focus on the other people in the class but you know, at the end of the class, I, you know, thanked them for coming and, you know, and, and it was like, they wouldn't even hardly speak to me, you right. know, and it was, right. and so that was just kind of like, oh my, you know, yeah. I, you know, and, and that really rattled me. So, but yeah. then I called, I called Margot, my instructor, you know, and I, because I really would like to work with people, um, more one-on-one some yeah. and, you know, kind of get into the yoga therapy training. So I've been thinking about doing a whole total training just on becoming a yoga therapist. But at yeah. this point in time in my life, the money, you know, to right. come up with all that is, it's a lot. And right. she told me, she says, Anita, you have what it takes. She goes, you just study and do, you know, do every little workshop that you know that you can to get more knowledge. And she said, you just have to start putting yourself out there. She, you know, she says, go to the hospitals, go to the seniors clubs, go to, you know, just keep going, putting yourself out there. And uh, that's the part I have a hard time with is yeah. selling myself, you know, yeah. because I hear them, you know, like, well, who are you and what, you know, how long have you been doing this and what do you right. know? And <laughs> right. Well, that's kind of like, no. you know, I just want to, I just want to mention one thing. There's a clicking sound. I don't know if there's something on your desk that's like hitting the computer. I just want to see if, if you're aware. Okay. Um, you know, I kind of, this comes up in a lot of different industries, this not industries, this comes up in a lot of different ways. This sense of like an imposter syndrome, you know, like who are you to be, doing X, whatever it is, in this case, teaching yoga. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that's a real challenge that teachers face, especially when you're new, because, you know, you have this perception that everybody else, or you could have this perception that everybody else has so much more experience than you. So therefore, you know, you must be less than because you don't, you know, have the same right. experience. And as far as, you know, so I guess I just want to acknowledge that you know, number one, you're not alone in feeling that way. And number two, some of that is just, you know, you already have shown that you can move forward anyway, despite having fear. So it's just kind of more of that, which it sounds like your teacher colleague there was trying to kind of tell you, just keep moving through that fear anyway. Um, because at the end of the day, the experience is what you need and doing nothing doesn't give you the experience. It's kind of facing the fear anyway, doing it anyway, with very little attachment to results, which is, again, another Buddhist theme, right? Just do it right. for the sake of doing it. Um, as far as the students coming to class and doing their own thing, you know, that is just a common theme that will happen. Uh, I 
you know, very recently had a similar example and I just moved myself to another part of the room. So instead of teaching from the center of the room, I taught from off to the right because I literally could not stay focused on the greater group because right. of two people that were, or one person that was doing their own thing. And so that will happen. I mean, you know, people are bringing all of their personalities and stuff to class and it's not like they're going to come into the room and magically be able to put all that to the side and um you know i mean there's probably a, a lot we could talk about in regards <laughs> to that kind of stuff i would just right. say for you as a teacher for me as a teacher you know we have to kind of we're there to do a job that involves a bunch of people and leading a bunch of people through a sequence. If we were gonna lead one person through a sequence that was just for them, there wouldn't be a bunch of people in the room. So if you have a couple of people that are doing their own thing, again, it's a matter of you have a certain amount of energy and you've got people in the room that need to receive this energy to be taken through the sequence, just don't give those people your energy. They're obviously right. gonna do their own thing, they're managing their own energy. So <laughs> let them, let them do it. And then, you know, like you said, if you're in your head, you're like, oh, why are these people doing this? This is so rude. You know, oh, now I'm getting all thrown. Should I be, should I be doing something different? Should I now shift on the fly to meet their needs? No, they're just going to do their own thing. I mean, your original thought, like, what are they doing? Like, you know, that's the right thought. They should not be doing that. So you're just going to put it to the side and teach to the greater group and keep right. moving for them. And um, you know what? There are probably plenty of people that leave classes that never thank their teacher that are thankful that they came. Uh, right. And so I don't know, you know, I don't always put a lot of stock into if somebody says something to me or if somebody doesn't. I also think too, and this was something I picked up from a friend of mine, um, a colleague, teacher friend of mine, Kat Fowler, she said one time when we were talking, she said, you know, whenever I have someone in class who's, you know, just kind of bringing attention to them in some way, she said, I always try to keep the possibilities open to what that person's story is, right? Like maybe right. the most they could do in that moment to manage what was happening. Maybe the fact that they're there is such a gift to them because they're really struggling with a lot right now, whatever it is, right? Like, cause we can right. just get all in, in, in the resistance energy of like, why isn't this person doing what I'm teaching? And now this person's throwing me off. And so I think sometimes if we can flip it to what is, I'm not saying you want to psychoanalyze a person in that moment, but just keeping open to possibility that I don't know this person's story. I don't know why they're doing this. You know, <laughs> they're here though, they're doing yoga and you know, there's, there's, there's good in that. And even right. if they leave and they think, oh my God, I really wanted teacher X and teacher Y was there and why that, you know, you still did your job, right? You can go to bed at night and you're in integrity as a teacher and you thanked everybody and you showed up and you took them from A to Z and that's what you're there to do. Right. right. And so all that other stuff, it's just like, it sucks the energy right out of your sales. And, you know, I think over time, as you get more experience, you'll just, 
It's the same with the flight attendants. You'll just know those are just like the universe, just kind of dangling little temptations for you. Like, okay, Anita, we're going to, we're going to push your buttons here. Are you going to bite? Um, we're going to do it over here. You know, and you're going to just get more confident. You'll be like, uh, sorry, not going there. Right. It's the same with other things you've done in your life. You know, even when you raise kids, I don't have kids, but I teach kids and, you know, teach bunch of toddlers yoga. You got to make choices all the time about what you're going to keep moving forward or you're going to deal with the tantrum or you're going to deal with the one that's fighting with the other one. I mean, it's like, you know, me and 10 toddlers, it's like, yeah, you got to pick your battles. So <laughs> no. All right. So here's, here's what I want to do. We're going to wrap up. Um, you know, this is really more kind of a discovery conversation. And I, again, I just want to massively acknowledge you for just putting it all out there and just being, you know, really courageous to share. I mean, this is the first time we've talked. You've never seen me. Right. right? And I, I am just so touched by your willingness to be open because this is the kind, these are the kinds of conversations that teachers need to have that we never seem to have because we go into training and then we go out into the world and everybody's in their own little cocoon. And there's really not a lot of opportunities for teachers to have conversations. I've, been on calls like this this week with Sweden, with um, Portland, Oregon, now with you. And, you know, it doesn't matter where we are. We're all dealing with some real common themed issues. And so I really, really thank you for putting it out there because this will, for the podcast especially, this is, I mean, that's why I called it Conversations for Yoga Teachers because I want us to have, you know, you obviously can't talk to everybody, but you can talk to teachers and have them be willing to put it out there. And, and then, you know, maybe in little ways, teachers will start talking to the, to their teachers they teach with, you know, like, Oh, I'm listening. And how do you feel about this? And you know, whatever. So thank you very, very much. Um, Thank you. Because you, um, listen to your podcast has helped me tremendously talking about limiting beliefs and, and all that between you and I do some work, listen to Mel Robbins a lot. So yeah. I'm really trying to work on myself, Yes, um, but I think you're the only, um, podcast or whatever that I have been able to find that really actually helps us as yoga teachers and really try, especially as new teachers yeah uh, and I appreciate you so much oh thank you <laughs> really don't know thank yeah, you I thank do. you yeah and you know I also want to say before we go I really give you a lot of credit for you know and again I you know I'm not 20 so I can you know <laughs> so I deal with a little bit of that age issue as well and you know you're out there and you're doing it and there is a place for all of us in the yoga world And, you know, there are, I'm sure, young people that can teach older people and older people that can teach younger people, you know, I mean, there's, there's nothing to say that age is a criteria. Um, Although I acknowledge that it brings up a lot of issues. And again, you're moving forward anyway. And so I really think in that way, you're really a leader in that way. And I think, you know, as you start to go out and start finding like, people that appreciate what you bring, um, that's where things are gonna start clicking for you. I think really it's just a matter of just acknowledging the fear and taking the step, acknowledging the fear and taking the step. And it's just like you're one foot in front of the other 
and um, having the conversations and making the calls, subbing the classes. And, and that's just, you just kind of, it's like the ball rolling downhill. You're just picking up speed, um, you know, even in these little steps. So keep going. <laughs> okay. <laughs> keep going. And you know, all of this is good fodder for the other thing you're doing. You're looking for a new position in your industry and you're, you know, some of this is coming up too. So it kind of is nice. It kind of dovetails nicely um, for both paths for you. So right. I have a good feeling that in a few months, you're going to kind of come out the other side and you'll probably have things in place kind of in both ends. And that'll be a really nice blend. Maybe you'll yeah, end up- I hope so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe you'll teach someplace or maybe you'll get a job someplace and you can teach all the hygienists yoga moves because, oh my God, I can't imagine being over yes. people all day yeah. is, is, you know, not great for the upper body and the feet and the hip, you know, all of it. So yes. that would be a really nice way to blend your love of yoga with your job and in an right. appropriate way. So, right. yeah. Okay, my friend. Well, I will talk to you again. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great weekend. Okay. You too. Thank okay. you. Bye-bye. Right. Bye, Anita. <laughs>